as I journey through the land, singing as I go, pointing souls to Calvary, to the crimson flow. Many arrows pierce my soul from without within, but my Lord leads me on, through him I must win. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face. There to sing forever of the saving grace. grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. When before me billows rise from the mighty deep, then my Lord directs my bark, he to safely keep. And he leads me gently on through this world below. He's a real friend to me. Oh, I love him so. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face. There to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last ever to rejoice oh i want to see him look upon his face there to sing forever of his saving grace on the streets of glory let me lift my voice cares all past home at last ever to rejoice cares all past home at to rejoice. Amen. Well, I, I, I tell you what, I, you know, I am kind of, I kind of resent the fact that when I sing bass, they never set my mic like they set Mark's. <laughs> and his voice always sounds lower in mine for some reason. And I know it can't be the voice, it's got to be the settings. I, I don't understand that, but anyway, he does okay. All right, Hebrews chapter 12. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12. Frustrated bass singer here, or frustrated tenor that would like to sing bass. Okay, put it that way. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Yeah, that's me, frustrated tenor. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12 today. Glad you're here, and uh, we're going to go ahead and take a little bit of time to look at Hebrews 12. And then we're going to use it as a springboard today. We're going to really kind of have a little bit of a different message in the sense that it's going to be primarily an application more than anything. And I hope that uh, we can glean from it and learn from it today and that we walk away inspired and prepared to do something great for the Lord. Let's go ahead and uh, look at Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Beginning in verse 1 today. All right, I'll tell you what. I don't do this normally, but I want you to stand, if you would, please, for the reading of the word today. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. If you do that, you don't have to. That's up to you. But I think it'd be a wise thing to do today. I think that if we're able to stand, let's do so in respect for the word of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. The Bible simply says this. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd bless us today, and we thank you for the precious reading of your word. But, Lord, it won't mean a lot if it's only read and it doesn't sink in. Lord, it's not how much we're in the Bible, but how much of the Bible's in us that matters. And, Lord, today, may you just drive home your truths, and may your Holy Spirit truly convict us and change us as needed. May we be willing to yield to your leadership. Father, thank you again for the privilege it is to stand behind this pulpit and proclaim your truth. I pray, Lord, that I would be uh, very, uh, be, take it uh, seriously and be very responsible. Lord, may you guide my lips and fill me with your Holy Ghost. I need your presence and your power. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to each heart and may every ear be anointed as well. We love you. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Before us is a track. Uh, There uh, in the stands are fans uh, piled up watching the race that is being run. It appears like it's a relay race. Because in one sense, the race has appeared to start, but yet there's going to be others beginning a race throughout history. The runners in this particular case are instructed to lay aside every weight and the sin which will slow them down along life's journey, which will slow them down in this race that they're called to run. The writer of Hebrews is instructing these Hebrew believers who have been recently saved. So there he stands before them or he writes before them. He says, listen, there you are uh, beginning a race today and there the fans are in the stands and the uh, eternity is watching. And you need to ensure that you cast aside all the weights, that you remove any excess weight that will slow you down in the race. And you need to ensure that sin doesn't cause you to stumble along the way. They stand at the starting line, gazing out across the terrain. What do they see? They see a course that is up and down. They see a course that has obstacles along the way. They see a course that isn't necessarily going to be smooth sailing. And there those Hebrew believers begin to think to themselves, maybe, maybe it'd be easier just to go back where we were. Maybe it'd be easier not to run the race. Maybe it'd just be simpler if we just neglected this part of the Christian life and go our own way, do our own thing. And that is when the writer of Hebrews says something so important. He says, looking un." To Jesus. Possibly they've been tempted to turn back for fear of what lie ahead and the sacrifice that was needed to run this Christian race. And at that point, the writer then redirects their eyes to none other than Jesus Christ. Don't you look outward, look upward. 
And so many times in our lives as we begin the Christian race and even sometimes in the midst of the Christian race, we find ourselves rather intimidated. We find ourselves concerned about the cost that it's going to take to get to the end, to ultimately cross the finish line. And if we're not careful, the devil says it's not worth the price. It's not worth the effort. It's not worth it at all. Just quit now. And the writer of Hebrews says, no, don't quit. Stop looking out at the circumstances of life. Do not allow yourself to acknowledge the ups and downs and the the twists and turns. Instead, look unto Jesus. 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 There's something about that name master savior jesus like the fragrance after the rain jesus 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim Kings and kingdoms shall all pass away, but there's something about that name. You know that you and I will either rise or fall. We're going to win or lose. We're going to overcome or be defeated based upon what direction we are looking in this life. If we continue to look outward, we will be discouraged and ultimately defeated. But the writer of Hebrews looks at these new believers and he says, listen, stop looking at the obstacles that you will face in life. Stop focusing on the circumstances and the situation. Focus on Jesus. Look up, not out. He says, looking unto Jesus. And he continues by saying this, the author and finisher of our faith. The author and finisher of our faith. And that's what I really want to focus on this morning. That Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Is a author? Yes. Do you realize that there is no story without an author? There's no story without an author. You know that the author directs the narrative as he sees fit. The author has the right to change whatever he deems necessary. But not only is Jesus the author, he is also the finisher. Do you know that when we think of a finisher, we often think about possibly a a house or maybe the finished carpenter, somebody that focuses on the details. The finisher, he wraps it up. She wraps it up by bringing it all together. The finisher places the final touches to everything. And you know, the Bible says that you and I are works in progress, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith. Yes, he is the beginning and he is the end. So today I want to get a little practical about the author and ultimately the finisher. 
And I, I want to ask this question. Will you permit God to hold the pen and write the story of your life? See, the truth is, is that the one who's holding the pen is the one who's writing the story. And the Bible says that he is the author and finisher of your faith. Hey, Hebrews, you're preparing to run a race. And can I tell you, the race is going to present some real ups and downs, some real twists and turns. You're going to have some obstacles you're going to face. And you may be tempted to rewrite the story, but just let me hold on to the pen and let me write it. I am the author, the finisher of your faith. In the scriptures, we have some examples of those who took control of the pen and chose to rewrite the story. I think of Jonah who tried to rewrite the story, and he ended up in the belly of a whale. Turn over, if you would, to Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Jonah tried to rewrite the story. The author, the Lord, is holding the pen and he begins to write. And we're going to see what he has to say about the story of Jonah's life. And yet Jonah removes the pen out of God's hand and says, no, I'm going to rewrite the story. Notice what he does in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. I know we might be waiting a while. It's one of them tiny, tiny little books, isn't it? Let me begin reading. You catch up to us if you haven't found it, because I know how that is sometimes. I am the pastor of Community Baptist Temple, and yet I scurry through my Bible sometimes going, I know where it's at. Oh, you kidding me? Where is that at? Have you ever done that? You go blank? No, you never do that. Okay, so anyway, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. There you have the Lord writing the story of Jonah's life. Here it is, Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah tried to rewrite the story. We know how that goes, and we know how that ended. Ultimately, the Lord brought a whale into Jonah's life, who ultimately consumed him, or not consumed him, but, but swallowed him whole. There he spends three days, three nights in the belly of a whale before he's choked up or, or thrown up onto the shore, where then he runs and makes his way to the city where he obeys God and begins to preach repentance to the people. The fact is, is that Jonah took the pen out of the author's hand and decided to write or rewrite the story of his life. And it didn't end well for him. And we know that when it was all said and done, he takes the pen back out of God's hand again, and he decides to exercise his pride, and as a result, falls back into a mess. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. I know in the Bible there's another man by the name of Saul that tried to rewrite the story. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Saul is now the king of Israel. In our Sunday school classes, we've been addressing and dealing with the early parts of the book of 1 Samuel, and we learn about Samuel, and we learn about Saul being placed in that position of, of authority as a result of the people, really, their rebellion. 
God complies with them. The question is, did God give them King Saul for their good or did he give, it, give, give them King Saul for the consequences of it, to allow them to understand it's always better to let me hold the pen? Right, now watch this. 1 Samuel 15, 2 and 3. So here we have Samuel. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. 1 Samuel 15, 2. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that when, which Amalek did to Israel. And now Amalek had not treated Israel well. Remember as they come out of Egypt many years earlier, he said, oh, I remember those days. I haven't forgotten yet how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. I'm not going to sit and debate as to whether or not God is righteous and good. I'm not going to debate with you whether or not he was right or wrong in, in, in determining and in, in, in saying that this is what he wanted done. It seems inhumane. It seems unfair. It doesn't seem right in the eyes of man. But then again, we're used to taking the pen out of God's hand and doing things our way. And so we're used to that. So we never really fully, many times, ever get the idea that God really does know what he's doing. And in this case, let me tell you, God knew what he was doing. He had a purpose and a reason. And although in our finite minds, we may not always be able to understand what God's purpose and plan is. He always has a reason for what he does. And it's always in our best interest. According to the word of God, Saul would spare the king and spoil the enemy instead of, of completely and totally uh, uh, smiting them, utterly destroying them as God had insisted. But when he was confronted by the man of God, Saul insisted that he had obeyed the word of the Lord. But the proof was in the pudding, wasn't it? Because in 1 Samuel 15, 14, the Bible says, and Samuel said, okay, if you actually did what God told you to do, utterly destroyed the Amalekites, then what meaneth then the bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Wait a second, you're telling me one thing, but I'm listening and hearing another one. Your story is not the same as what my ears are telling me. Something's amiss. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, ultimately the, 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 the man of God, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes it clear. Samuel said, Hath not hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? He says, well, wait, we, we did it for God. I know what God said, and I still believe I obeyed the Lord because, because I utterly, we utterly destroyed the majority. We just kept back things that we were going to sacrifice to him, and we kept the king alive. Uh, well, let's not talk about him now, but we kept those other things there so we could sacrifice to God. We did it for God. Certainly God wouldn't be upset with me because I did exactly what he said, right? And Samuel's like, Hath the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion, here it is now, is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. Saul decided to take the pen out of God's hand and rewrite the story. That's all that happened. It's that simple. God had a plan. He had a purpose. Saul decided he had a better plan and a better purpose, and he said, hey, Give me that pen, God. Let me write the story. 
I don't know that I can fully agree with you. And furthermore, these people are putting a lot of pressure on me. you got to understand where I'm coming from. So give me that pen. I'm going to rewrite the story so that it, it, it best favors me in the end. We don't do it that way, though. See how it ends? The Bible says that he ended up, in this particular case, losing the throne and the favor of God in his life. Well, I can think of another king. I think of King Solomon. He tried to rewrite the story. You say, how did he do that? Well, turn, if you would, to Deuteronomy 17, 17. Solomon tried to rewrite the story. Look at, look at what he does. Now, God gave clear instruction for kings early on in, in, in the Pentateuch, it's called, the first five books of the Bible. Notice what he says in Deuteronomy 17, 17. And I think the moment you read this, you'll go, oh, but I know where he messed up. Notice it says, neither shall he multiply wives to himself. That his heart turn not away, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. Now again, in Deuteronomy, God is outlining the requirements or the limits for the future kings that would come. God had intended that there be a king in Israel. God had ordained that that would take the place. And so here in Deuteronomy, before the king ever shows up on the scene, before God ultimately uh, anoints the king that he chooses, he says, listen, this is the requirements that I have for the king. And one of those is that he doesn't multiply wives to himself. Solomon, you know, he's the only man in the world that had a problem with lust. So nobody has a problem with that. He's the, he's the only person. Ladies, we, we used to say men were the ones that struggled with it. Well, ladies, you're struggling with it more than ever in our culture that has rewired your minds to think smutty like men think. I'm just trying to be honest today. I'm so tired of the world that's wrecking and ruining the lives of believers and their families out of this lustful culture we live in. Seductive culture. Solomon is a man like any other man. He is not more prone to lust than any other man in the room. And there's not one man in this room that is any more prone to lust than the next. We are all built the same way. There's never an excuse to take the pen out of God's hand and say, let me rewrite my story. Oh, you don't want me to multiply wives? That's okay. I watched my dad. He had a couple extra wives. And so you know what? I think I'll have a few extra how about about 694 of them? What? He's rewriting his story. And then he has 300 concubines. And I know someone says, well, of course, those marriages were alliances with other nations and tried to bring. I get it, but for some reason, God said not to multiply wives. See, God was trying to write the story. He decided, I'm going to rewrite the story. Give me the pen, God, and let me do it my way. And he did. And guess what happened? Exactly what God said would happen. As a matter of fact, God said that his heart turned not away, neither shall he, instead of his heart, that his heart turned not away. Well, in 1 Kings 11, the Bible says in verse 3, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. God, you don't know what you're talking about. Let me rewrite my story. 
And it came to pass, verse 4, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was his fa- his heart, the heart of David his father. You say, but David his father, he messed up big time. Man, I mean, he committed adultery, and I mean, it was a bad thing. Yeah, I know, but notice his heart in the midst of that action. He was brokenhearted, he was humbled, and he was repentant. Solomon was more than happy to take the pen out of God's hand and say, let me rewrite. And as long as he's holding that pen and writing his own story, he's going to violate God's laws as well as deal with the consequences of them. So we have three examples of those who took control of the pen and chose to rewrite the story. However, the Bible's wonderful like this. There are examples of those that allowed God to possess the pen and write the story. I think about Abraham. Turn your view to Abraham uh, in Genesis chapter 12. Let's look at Abraham for just a moment. Genesis chapter 12. You say, this message is way too simple. Yeah. If we would just do the simple in our Christian lives, we'd avoid a lot of problems. We make it so complicated. Well, I think we need something deeper. Well, let's just do the first things. Let's get this done first. Let's just let God hold the pen and write our, our life, write out the story of our lives for a while. Well, I need to know more before I let him do that. Then you just get to know him. You get to know him, and you f- might have confidence enough to let him write the story. You know what the problem is today? We don't really believe what we say we believe about God. We don't even know who God is, because if we really knew who God was, we'd have confidence for him, in him, to write the story. But we keep taking the pen away because we don't trust him with our lives or our families. We don't trust him with our churches. So we'll change things about the church. We'll change things about the word of God. We'll put things in place in our churches that are not scriptural or biblical. We'll, as we talked this morning in my class, we'll remove those ancient and old landmarks. Why? Because we think we have better ways. We're going to go plow in someone else's fields instead of God's fields. We take the pen out of God's hand. And we start to write our own story. Fortunately for us, Abraham allowed God to write the story. Oh, he wasn't perfect and he made mistakes, but he really wanted God to write the story. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will shew thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be blessed. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Man, Abraham allowed God to write the story. Do you know that he would leave country and he would leave kindred in pursuit of God's purpose and plan for his life? I mean, it had been tempting. I don't know about you. It had been tempting to say, you know what, God? Give me the pen. Let me rewrite the story. I don't want to leave mama and daddy. I don't want to leave my family and friends. I don't want to uproot my family and have to go into a land that I'm not aware of and have to face potentially enemies that I don't even know exist. I feel much safer, much more secure where I'm at. But he didn't. He said, God, you're holding the pen. You just write the story, and I'll just follow the story. And he allowed God to write the story, and he would be, he would father a nation and would, that would occupy the promised land. It's amazing what God did as a result of Abraham's obedience. Then there's Noah. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. I threw a zinger at you. You were going back to Genesis, weren't you? Hebrews chapter 11. We're trying to put this in a little box, make it quick and simple. Hebrews kind of summarizes everything right here for us. 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Again, it's the faith chapter in the Bible. By the way, if it's not a faith, it's what? Sin. Sin. It's not just dumb. It's not a faith, it's stupid. Nope, that's not what he says. If it's not a faith, oh, it's a problem. Nope, that's not what he says. If it's not a faith, it's what? Sin. Oh, boy, that's a tough pill to swallow sometimes, isn't it? Let me ask you, you operate your, your finances by faith? You say, no, that's sin then. You operate your relationships through faith? No. Well, that's sin then. You discipline your kids according to the word of God? No, that's not faith. That's sin. Thank you, preacher. You're a blessing today. Praise the Lord that you speak the truth in love. We can feel the love. Man, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we are messing around with fire today. Can a man take fire into his bosom and not be burned? We are taking fire into our bosoms, and we're wondering why we're getting burnt. Notice what it says. Hebrews chapter 11, Noah again. By faith, Noah. Verse 7, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his family. His house, excuse me. By the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Notice this Noah. God comes to him one day and says, by the way, um, you need to start building an ark. He's like, what are you talking about, ark? In an ark, a boat? Yeah, it's a boat. Why would we need a boat? We haven't seen any rain yet. I mean, what's this rain? Well, you'll see. It'll, be, it'll come. I know, but I haven't seen it yet. How about, I tell you what, Lord, how about I take the pen and I rewrite things a little bit? No, that's not what Noah did. Noah said, you know what, you keep the pen, you just keep writing, and I'll follow the storyline. I'll obey you, I'll just do what you say. I'll follow the story. I'll let you write the story. You keep the pen, God. And you know what the outcome was, don't you? He, along with his family, were saved. How many families are falling apart in America today? Can I tell you, it's real simple. We're taking the pen out of God's hands and we're trying to rewrite the story. We're trying to do it our way. We're following the world. You know, the Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Do you know that that's not just sinful things? That's trends in the world. I mean, we don't like to talk like that because we don't, oh, you're being legalistic now. Legalistic? Really? Is that what you call it? We're being fatalistic today. We're letting the devil come in and just literally destroy our families, our homes, our lives, our churches. Because we want to look and act like the world. We're just like Israel. We want a king just like the rest of the nations. We want to look just like the rest of the world. They have praise teams. We want them too. They think that the Bible's not really that important. Well, we shouldn't put too much emphasis because we'll never reach them. Well, why don't we just do what God says and quit worrying about what the world's doing and just obey the Lord? Let him hold the pen for a while. Let's quit taking the pen out of God's hand and trying to rewrite the story of our lives, rewrite the story of our ministries, rewrite the story of our families. Amen. Noah says, you know what, God, you just hold on to the pen. I'm trusting you with it. I know that you see the beginning to the end. And I know that whatever I do, it's going to put a, a I'm going to make a mess of it. But I know you have my best interest in my life, my family our world in best interest at heart here. So we see Noah. 
He, along with his family, were saved as a result of the fact that he allowed God to write the story. Abraham allowed God to write the story. He had father a nation would occupy the promised land. Then we see another fellow by the name of, we call him the maniac, a Gadara. Look, if you would, in Luke chapter 8, verse 27, as we bring this kind of to a conclusion. I had to say kind of because it's not really the conclusion. I knew a preacher one time, he at least closed six times every service. No joke. It wasn't my pastor, but at camp, we'd hear a guy preach, and he preached a number of times I've heard him at camp. He literally closed the message five, six times. Say, like, wait, wait a second. Was it the, after the first time that you lied, or was it after the fifth time you lied? You say, what? Well, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a, I like, I like if I say something, I want to mean it, right? Now listen, I, I'm not mad at the guy, and I'm not pointing fingers at him. He, he was a great preacher, and still, I'm sure still is. But I'm kind of funny like that. You tell me we're going to close, then we probably ought to be closing. Now that close may take a while, but you shouldn't have to close four times. And he would literally say, okay, now we're going to close it again. Well, I thought we closed it already. So th- when did we open it back up? Okay, I, I don't know. I'm just telling you how I feel about things. And that's why, I, you know, I prefer honesty. You know, you know what I mean? Let's just be honest. But you know what? Honesty comes pretty far and few between even in the Christian realm today. What have we been talking about on Wednesday nights? We want to live by principle, but what's the real foundation for living by principle? Character and integrity. Notice what it says in Luke chapter 8. Now Jesus and his disciples, they arrive at the country of the Gadarenes. And as Jesus exits the ship, he's met by a demonically controlled man. Notice what happens here. Luke chapter 8, verse 27. And when he went forth to land talking about the Lord, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils long time and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. We don't have time to talk about it, but that guy's a good picture of the lost. We know according to the scriptures that this man was severely bound by Satan and bound by sin. There's no doubt about that. None of us would would question that. His life was in shambles. He was filled with anger. He was overwhelmed with frustration. He felt helpless to overcome these areas of his life. Then he met the master who delivered him from his tormentors. In Luke chapter 8, verse 34, we read of it. When they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it in the city and in the country. We know that the Lord cast out those demonic spirits and they go into that that herd of swine, and over the hill they go and into the water to drown. And they're like, man, our livelihood just got zapped. I mean, we're done. I mean, all of our swine are dead, thanks to this Jesus. What a guy. And so they went and told it in the city and then the country, And they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and they found the man of whom the devils were departed. How did they find him? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Verse 39, returning, the Lord says, return to thine own house and show how great things. 
excuse me, go, go unto thine own house and shew how great things God had done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. So these come out, and eventually they're like, hey, you got to get out of here, Jesus. This isn't working out for us. Man, our economy just went down the toilet. It just, it just, you wiped it out, man. Thanks a lot, Jesus. Next time you show up, please don't let anybody know you're here. But there was one man who said, no, you go ahead and hold the pen. You go ahead and write the story, Jesus. And that man was the maniac. And that man was transformed and changed for the better. How many times have we tried to take the pen out of God's hands? See, someone's tempted maybe to say, I mean, the maniac, go back. No, you can't travel with me. Oh, but I want to be with you, Jesus, after everything you did for me. Oh, praise the Lord for that spirit. Sorry, go back to your city. Be a witness and a testimony where you've been. They know who you are, and the transformation and change that they will see will definitely impact their life for me. Okay, Jesus, you go ahead and write the story. I'm not taking the pen out of your hand. I'm just going to let you determine and decide what to do. And I'm just going to let you write my story, and I'll follow the, I'll follow the story. And so back he goes. And somebody may be tempted to say, well, you know, when I get that bad, I know where to turn. When I get in a mess like the maniac, when I mean I'm just ripping my clothes off, I'm breaking fetters, and I'm, I'm, I'm howling in the tombs up in the mountains, and I, I want nothing to do with mankind, and I've got demonic possession all over me. I mean, when I get that bad, then I know who to turn to. But that's not really the spirit of the passage. That's not what he's trying to point out here. See, the point of the story is not that God helps those that are this bound by Satan and sin, but that if he can help someone this bound by Satan and sin, he can certainly help you right where you're at. That's the point. You don't have to be filled with demons, and you don't have to be cutting yourself, and you don't have to be running around naked, and you don't have to be screaming and yelling like a maniac to need Jesus. You just need to know that it doesn't matter how bad a shape you're in, he is the answer. Let him hold the pen. Because whoever's holding the pen is writing the story. The moment we take the pen out of God's hand is the moment we go the wrong direction and the consequences of our life fall on our own shoulders. Let's let God be responsible for the outcomes. Let him write the story of your life. Let him write the story of your family. Let him write the story of the church. Let him write the story of a nation. See, what about you this morning? Will you allow God to possess the pen and write the story of your life? Will you let him do that? Will you permit him to be the author and the finisher of your faith? See, the author begins the story, and writes the story, but guess what? He's also the finisher of the story. Remember, obedience is the name of the game. See, if we're not obedient, 
we literally have taken the pen out of God's hands. If we are obedient, we are saying, you hold on to it and write the story. I'm going to follow your narrative. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Well, well, listen, preacher, I I still come to church. Listen, I, 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 I still try to read my Bible faithfully and I still pray. Man, I even come forward and I get down at the altar and I say, Oh, Lord, help me. None of that even matters if you are holding the pen. Don't matter. Well, my intentions are good. No, it's not a faith, it's sin. You're holding the pen. You've taken control out of God's hands. You don't want Him writing the story, you want to write your own story. Let me tell you, that's not going to end good for you, and it's not going to end good for those around you. We see evidence of it all the time in the Word of God. We talked about just three examples today. But let me tell you, you see positive things coming out of those lives who say, you hold on to the pen, God, because I don't have all the answers, and I trust you that is fi- that, uh, outside of me being finite. You are eternal. You know the beginning to the end already. I'm trusting you because you are good, and you are merciful, and you are gracious, and you are kind, and you are faithful, faithful, faithful. So this morning, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I want to remind everyone, if you're here, each of us has a final chapter in the story of our life. Every one of us has a final chapter. Do you know that that chapter will either be entitled Heaven or hell. What will be the title of the final chapter of your life? This morning I pray and hope that you will allow Jesus Christ to do what only he can in your life. That is to forgive your sin and to wash you clean and to indwell you and perfect you. To make in you and to make you, I should say, a new creature in Christ Jesus. You do that by calling on the name of the Lord, receiving and accepting Him alone as your Savior. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You've got to call on Him. You've got to humble yourself and you've got to admit that you're a sinner that he had to come and die for because only Christ is able to take away the sin of the world. He wrote it out already. The plan's in place. The story's already been written. There's only one way to heaven and that's Jesus. Won't you come to Christ this morning? Otherwise, the final chapter of your life, no matter what's involved in your lifetime, no matter how good or Sweet, you've been to others. Nothing will matter in the end except the final title of that chapter. Settle it. Make heaven the name of that final chapter. And then as a believer, you can either either run nor can you finish the race 
without Jesus, the author and finisher. See, again, we've read it, we talked about it last week. I am the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Give me the pen, and I'll write my own story. I'll go my own way. I'll do my own thing. I'll obey myself as God. Bad idea. Let the author and the finisher hold on to the pen and you simply follow the story. Obey God where you're at today. What is it in your life that needs to go? What have you written into your life that God needs to remove this morning? What have you written in? Maybe an attitude of bitterness, a spirit of unforgiveness. Maybe you have an outlook of rebellion in your life. Maybe you despise authority. You've written that into your life. That is not something God wants for you. Let him remove it. Maybe you've been bound by vice. Maybe you've allowed yourself to be fall prey to temptation and you've put yourself in an awkward, horrible position. Today it's time to give the pen back to God so that he can go here and say, let's scratch a few things out of there and let's begin to rewrite Begin to write the story as I see it's necessary instead of allowing you to rewrite it. See, God already has a purpose and a plan for you. It's there. It's already written out. See, this is the thing, and I haven't talked about it much, and I'm not going to because of time, but God already has a purpose and plan. You know what that means? He's already written out the story. See, he already knows what each one of you ought to do for him in your lifetime. You don't even have, he already knows. It's already written out. The question is, will you take the pen out of his hand or will you personally let him hold on to it and just follow his plan? His story. And that's true in every one of our lives. How many of us have taken the pen out of God's hand at some point and started to rewrite our story and it ended in a way that ultimately caused us to have to come back broken, humbled, and begging forgiveness? It's because we tried to rewrite the story. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Let's let him be exactly that today. Let him hold on to the pen and write the story of your life. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time we've had together. And Lord, we need you. And I don't know, uh, Father, what uh, is going on in every life, Father, represented here, but we are human beings. And Lord, the truth is, is that we all have battles that we face. We are all struggling in our lives at times, and there's issues that we face consistently. And if not careful, we will obey ourselves or something or someone else other than you. And when we're doing that, we're literally removing the pen from your hand and trying to rewrite our story. Help us, Father, to fall in line with your story, to be obedient to your purpose and plan for our life as a believer in Christ. Help us to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Because, Lord, like those Hebrew believers, if we fail to do so, we will stumble and fall under the weight and burden of the Christian life. Help us to keep our eyes on you and allow you to hold the pen 
and be the author and finisher of our faith. We'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every